All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, Nicks? What the fuck, publicans? What the fuckocrats? What's happening? I am Mark Marin. This is WTF. This is my podcast. You're listening to it. I assume it's not the first time. So welcome. Welcome back. Uh, and if it is your first time, welcome uh, for the first time. How are you? What's going on? Today, my guest is uh, Will Arnett from Arrested Development and many other things. Also, he's got his uh, show on Netflix called Flaked. He's the voice of the Lego Batman, which is very popular with the adults and children alike. So I'll be talking to him in a little while. But, you know, I spent years yeah, not making this a political show and making it a human show. And I'd like to continue making it a human show. But, uh, you know, things have gotten very urgent. But let's assume that there will be other elections. Let's assume that this is not uh, the president for life situation. Let's assume that the process will pick up again in a couple of years in some of these special elections. Let's assume that, you know, just to, you know, indulge me. We found out about this uh, new group because they have the same uh, name as us. They're called WTF, but for them, it stands for win the future. Their whole point is to turn all this energy that you see in the streets and at town halls and on social media into election results next year. There's a lot of work to do, and there are more than 2,500 critical competitive races in states across the country. So if you're wondering how you can get involved in an active way, this WTF group has set up a way where you can get involved where you're needed most. The website is volunteer.wtf their switchboard is now active and matching volunteers with campaigns around the country so go get involved at volunteer.wtf and i've been thinking a lot you know when i take time away from my phone and the the sort of um the panic of uh refreshing your browser about you know personally you know what is horrifying to me you know outside of politics and what politicians do and how they're fucking with people is that i've been through elections before i've been through different presidencies before and the fact is is that look i talk to people for a living i've always talked to people for a living basically that's what i've done whether it's on stage or for the past eight or nine years one-on-one here intimately and I've always had to believe, and I still do believe, that that when you sit down with somebody one-on-one, that you can talk to a human being, that you can talk to a person, that if you put aside uh, ide- ideological um, matters, political matters, that you know we share more than we don't, that we have things in common more than we don't, that our frustrations are probably more similar than they aren't, how we resolve them and who we are personally in in our fear or our anger or our desperation or our hopelessness or our excitement or fury or um, vulnerability is common where we're human beings. And I like that dialogue. A lot is learned from people over the course of this show. Many people without designation politically and without even, you know, not even knowing where they come from. I get emails all the time about the struggles of, 
you know, whether it's drug addiction, psychological problems, anger, uh, financial issues, dark times of whatever kind or another, you know, who feel uplifted by hearing other people talk about personal things. You know, that's what you know, being a human is for to, you know, sort of carry the weight and burden and be there to listen to other people. And it just fucking terrifies me that we're not going to be able to get back to that. Even with our differences. That becomes frightening. There is a, a frenzy towards negligence in the name of money and power that has very little to do with most of us. So I get this email. It just says, from a fan. Hey, Mark, there's a pretty good chance this will get drowned out, but it's worth a shot. I want to ask you, how is it that you create such an intimate experience for the people you interview? There's truth in all your interviews, and that's what's captivated me from the first episode I heard. I'm doing an assignment where I choose to do some community journalism, and I want to ditch the Q&A format. There's no longer any truth in it. Hmm. Do you think that the way you conduct interviews could ever be translated into other kinds of journalism? I really hope so. Anyways, if there's any advice that you could give me on how to allow people to converse in other places as fluidly as, as they do in the garage, I'm very interested in hearing it. I've been a fan for maybe seven years now, and your honesty provided something very special that teenagers don't get from adults very often. I'm headed off to college soon, and you've provided valuable insight, and I'm sure will help guide my creative intentions for the rest of my life. I want to thank you and wish you all the best. Many respects. Jose. Jose, I've been conducting these type of conversations throughout my life. And, and if I really trace the roots of it is that I think when I was younger, like when I was in high school, I, I didn't have a real concept of, of uh, you know, a lot of things like, you know, what I was supposed to do, who I was supposed to be, who I was, you know, what my interests were specifically. And, you know, my father was not that uh, attentive, really. So I found myself kind of hanging around places and talking to people that seemed like they knew those things, who they were, what they wanted to do, what the world was about, uh, you know, how to be funny and, and you know, take life uh, on life's terms, you know, kind of own it. So I would hang around bookstores, restaurants, record shops, guitar shops in my neighborhood and just, you know, listen to people talking and talk to them and asking questions and sort of, you know, just listen to how people navigate their interests and the world. It would make me feel better to be around people that seem to have a handle on shit. And I've done that all my life. So I think that, you know, I don't consider what I do journalism, but I think that, again, if you approach people as people, I mean, if you approach somebody knowing what you want to talk to them about, you know, maybe, you know, talk to them about something else for a few minutes first, you know, ask them questions that involve the immediate environment or, or what's happening. I don't know what the setting is, 
you know, maybe say like, you know, I, I don't quite understand this. And, you know, maybe before I ask you this general question about a general thing, maybe you could educate me on something and then get a little back and forth going about the nuances of a particular topic. And don't be afraid to do follow up questions. You know, there are certain moments in a conversation where you pick up an instinct where people just sort of blow by a detail. But if anything during what somebody is saying to you as they just move by it, you know, seems like something that has more to it, uh, you know, and you're interested in that or you piques your interest, you know, get into that. Ask them what they mean by it. You know, have a conversation. That's the best that I can offer. And that's the way that, you, you know, you find common ground. And also you, you get information. Just try to talk to people. You know, if, it, you know, if, there's, if it's not, you know, pressing or groundbreaking or, you, you know, there's, there's not breaking news, just try to talk to the person that you're talking to and uh, you'll make what you want to know sort of uh, secondary and see if it comes up organically. I, I, you know, look, I can't teach a journalism class, but, you know, if you've got the time, that's what I would do. So I guess uh, I talked to Will a few days ago and I guess I should preface this because, you know, it was the day that the North Korean government uh, launched a test missile. So that, that there's a, a bit of uh, thematic underlying stuff there. That was the subtext of my conversation with Will. Also, Will is the voice of Batman in the Lego Batman movie, currently the number one movie in the country. This is me and uh, Will Arnett. What's happening, Will? I, I haven't talked to you in a long time. I know. Has it been like, I didn't realize like, um, do you live by me? Where do you live? Over there? I live over there. You do? Yeah. I live in the, in the shit, as we say. I mean, it's a little different from the actual shit from (laughs) Vietnam, but. It's, uh, you mean the, the nice shit. It's the nice shit. Yeah. Yeah. The, the place where, uh, the, you know, the, the, up, the, the elite live. I suppose I'm, I'm right in, I'm cozy with the Hollywood elite. And uh, it's where they put signs up excusing the, the lack of uh, green grass on the boulevards because of the drought. <laughs> really? You know, that's like, Please forgive our appearance, yeah. but we're all hurting. Yeah. That kind of thing? Something like that. What, uh, um, what, where do you come from, man? I don't, I don't really, like I realized when I was like trying to do research, which I'm not good at, that uh, I, I know nothing about you. You're just a, a funny man that, uh, that appears in things. I kind of appeared out of nowhere. Really? Um, yeah. Even people that I sort of know, uh, you, you know, I, you and I don't know each other that well, but when people say, I didn't know that, I'm like, thanks for Googling me. <laughs> you know, Jesus Christ, you could find out a lot about me in two seconds. Sure. Well, you know, you can do that, but t- I have had experiences where I'll Google somebody and, and it's, all the f- it's all wrong. Really? Uh, definitely. Like de- there was, I think it was Pam Adlon. I Googled her because I was going to talk to her, and there was just all this information about someone who was her father and this, her stepfather, and I, it, none of it was real. Wait, what kind of sordid past does Pam Adlon have? <laughs> none she, of it. She did. She didn't yeah. like, but she, I thought she was connected to someone who was in the film business or a direct. It just turned out as I talked to her that a, a good chunk of the information on her Google on her Wikipedia, Wikipedia. page was bullshit. I love you've probably talked to or and or thought about this a million times. What? I love the people uh, when new when some sort of news item drops about somebody, you know, they die or whatever. Yeah. Um, and the people who are ready to to alter the Wikipedia page to that effect. I, it, it's, who are they? 
who the fuck are they? What are they doing? I don't, I don't know how mine appeared. I, I, no. I don't know who's in charge of it or who did. Did you make yours? No, I have nothing to do with it. I yeah. have zero idea. And what I love is the idea. Honestly, if you watch the next time like a celebrity dies, yeah. Yeah. the second you find out about it, go yeah. to Wikipedia. And someone's done it. Because you'll, you'll get like a breaking news thing or whatever. And yeah. just if you can think about it, go to Wikipedia and it'll be there. And he died on January 12th. Already. And you're like, what the fuck? Yeah, who, I don't know who does, like, who are the people that are overseeing it? I, I, don't, I don't even know how it works, to be honest with you, no. Will. I, I wish I did. I know that anyone, the idea is anyone can do it, but there's some sort of uh, oversight somewhere eventually. Well, it gives you pause when you start thinking uh, that, that that is possible, that, that anybody can, can go do it, and it calls into question uh, um, the, the sort of the legitimacy of anything that we read, right? That's happening on a large scale now. On, on a very large scale, but that's this. This has been happening for a long time. With so, Wikipedia, with Wikipedia, and you have to, um, you know, in a court of law, it's it's the the old if if a witness is caught lying, immediately the lawyers will say, "Sorry, but this person's credibility is called, and everything they now say henceforth, yeah, has to be taken with a grain of salt." Right. Um, and if you apply that to what's going on right now, uh huh. You'd think that people would would kind of wise up, and yet they don't seem to want to. No, I, I, I we can't even begin to. Uh, we'll just go down a dark hole mm. that uh, that that has uh, validity and a lot of definition. But let's keep it personal and go down that uh, pit. Well, of, uh, my here insanity. here here's what we know about me. That's true. Uh, Where I'm, do you come I'm from? Canadian born. You are born in Toronto. Are you leaving? Are you going back? No, no, not anytime <laughs> soon. Why? Uh, why is that about Canadians? Like even when shit gets real here and shit gets ugly here, you're just sort of like, no. Nope. Well, uh, you know, I'm sure that there's a lot of a on a professional uh, level. It's mm-hmm. it's difficult for me to do the things that I want to do there. Sure, there there are a lot of great artists and a lot of great things that happen there. Um, and now I feel safe having said that. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, you, I sort of realized at a young very young age that if i wanted to be an actor and and have you know realize my dreams whatever the fuck they were they're different now but uh that i was gonna have to leave (laughs) well how what so how big is your family what do you got brothers and sisters i have two sisters older older really yeah are they there they're there uh, they're three years older, and yeah, they, they have kids and everything. You got w- nephews, and one of them has kids, and they're um, and she has uh, uh, two boys, and they live on the street that I grew up on. Really? Yeah, in Toronto. In Toronto, she lived. Um, that sister lived in the states for a long time, and her, both her kids were born in Brooklyn, and she just moved back a few years ago. Um, are your folks still there? Are they around? Yeah, my folks are still there. They're around. Really? Yeah, and uh, I see my folks quite a bit. You do? Yeah, they come out here a lot because of the kids. Because of the kids, and because I'm really, uh, I'm really close with my family. Really, and, yeah. And and um, my mom will probably text during this uh, as we were talking. She really? texts me a lot. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, uh. we, we, it's it's really good. I, I'm I'm really lucky in that my parents aren't. Uh, um, y- you know, they they've been very um, considering that. My dad's pretty conservative in yeah. a lot of ways. What's he do? Uh, he's retired now. He was for many years. He was a corporate lawyer. Yeah, is that a, was he on the, uh, the one of the good guys or the bad guys? Well, it depends on who you ask. <laughs> you know, he worked on a <laughs> he he That's for true. for many years. He you know he was a uh, he was a 
a senior partner in in arguably Canada's biggest uh, law firm, um, and he did a lot of uh, his specialty was mergers and acquisitions. Yeah. So he worked on a lot of big deals around the globe, and he traveled a lot when I was a kid. And um, and you always got along with him throughout all of that. I did, but you know he was um, he was he worked a lot. Yeah. Um, and I don't mean that as an indictment. It was just, that's sure. what you did. Yeah. My dad did that too. Yeah. And, and, and your mom would cover for him. My mom would He'll co- be home sometime. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, it was, it, but I don't, I don't have, I, you know, I, I didn't like pop into a, a therapist chair at age 25 and say, God damn it. My dad wasn't around. Yeah. Um, it's just the way it was. Um, having said that he was great when he, when he could be. Sure. Um, and we were very close. Um, Actually, in a lot of ways, my dad and I got closer when, uh, probably when I graduated high school. Yeah. Um, and I was kind of at a place where I was trying to decide what I wanted to do. You know, you say to your parents, um, you want to be an actor, especially my parents. You know, I went to all boys boarding school. My dad uh, went to Harvard. Um, so you grew up with some bread and you were, you know, there. Yes. definitely had all the options available to you. And yeah. there, you could have... You know, given that pedigree, that the trajectory could have been some big business for sure. I, I have a lot of friends who have gone into banking, uh, et cetera. Yeah, um, a lot. And um, and were, when you were in high school, were you acting and shit? I was. I was trying to. I, I left uh, boys boarding school. I was asked not to return. Oh, uh, good. So they uninvited you. Yeah. What'd you do to to deserve that? I that sounds like uh, I was kicked out of a private school one time as well. It's a badge of honor, right? That's great. Yeah. Um, I just got kicked out for being a smartass. It wasn't even a. It wasn't even a respected, like prep school. Right. It was the. It was the shit. It was like the secondary one. What What part of the world was that? In Albuquerque, New Mexico. Oh, okay. But like there was the. You know there was the. You know, kind of a private school, the academy, mm-hmm. and then there was sort of like nah, Sandia Prep. That's where you know I was always the kid. It's sort of like, well, he doesn't pay attention and he seems creative, but he's bright. Same here. Yeah, let's put him in this one. Same here. Not <laughs> reaching his potential. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, and, so doesn't seem to pay attention. No, doesn't pay attention, and for good reason. When you look back, um, I think yeah. in a lot of ways, it, it, it's funny not to to uh, digress too much, but my. My own kids, watching them, you know, they're in school now. They're in first and second yeah. grade. And, you know, I'm pretty involved at their school. And looking at their curriculum now versus what it used to be, the way that they actually teach things like math, um, it's much less uh, – uh, they they put they stress less uh, on memorization and things like that we used to you – know, right. the, the way we learned it. And it's much more about using your own sort of – you mean learning it? Yeah, learning it. Your own inherent <laughs> cognitive skills, like all, and and applying that too, and using re- things like reason. And, yeah, and it's much more engaging in that way. I could never fucking wrap my brain around algebra. No, like like geometry was okay, shapes I could handle, but like it stopped there. I mean, I chemistry couldn't fucking manage well, it it's just memorization of boring shit i guess but the way things work together yeah i mean it would have helped if someone could have taught me how how it worked but yeah it is it's it's like uh they're like puzzles yeah i couldn't i don't i just can't do it i don't know if i had the patience or ADD, ADD, uh attention deficit disorder i don't think i do because i can get pretty obsessed and focused when i want to when yeah. I when I feel compelled, yes. when I'm terrified, yeah. So imagine, right? So imagine if somebody had had uh, built the drama uh, in geometry for, or in algebra for yeah. you. Maybe you would have been. Yeah, maybe I don't know. So like, so you were you were a problem kid or what? 
To an extent, I was a smartass. Yeah. Uh, and I was, you know, getting big laughs, smoking in the woods. I was getting big laughs. I yeah. still remember some big laughs. You do? From sure. My... Sure. What's the big laugh? Um. Oh gosh, I don't know. <laughs> Every once in a while, I'll think about some like, like prep school laughs. Yeah, just something that... where you completely undermine the authority structure constantly. Yeah, they can't. There's no tolerance for that. Eventually, constantly. And I would have, you know, back in the day, a lot of the, and I, I think this has changed a lot. But yeah. back then, a lot of the guys, uh, the men who became teachers in uh, uh, boys' boarding schools, yeah. out in the middle of fucking nowhere, Canada, yeah. You have to think that a lot of those, some of those people are pretty depressed and have, have given up. Right. <laughs> you, you think so, but I mean, there are people that like want to teach. Yes, there are some. I will say that there are some, and I had some fantastic teachers. Yeah. But there were a couple who were, who had a, who resented the student body, who were yeah. like, these are a bunch of rich little kids. Yeah. And fuck them. Yeah. And I'm going to, I'm going to be the one to grind them down, <laughs> you know, and their parents aren't around and I'm going to have, my foot is going to be on Arnett's throat every fucking day. Yeah. And, uh, you know, yeah. I got into it once, um, you know, I, I, when I was in, I went away when I was 12. Yeah. And so when I was, so it's like, oh, it's a boarding school. Boarding so school. Got, and it's way you, up North. Uniforms? Uniforms. And so I was, I was, uh, I was 12 years old and, uh, I had my shit was all over my room. I was 12. Yeah. And, uh, my housemaster, as he was called, uh, had told me a couple of times, you got to clean up your shit. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I came back one day from class and all my shit was packed into his car. And, um, he said, <laughs> hop in. And he drove me six miles away. Yeah. And I had like six garbage bags or four garbage bags full of shit. Mm -hmm. And he said, you, uh, you'll, you'll clean up your shit now. And he dropped me on the road there and it was middle of winter and these bags were heavy and had, and I had to kind of, I was like, what the fuck am I going to do? And I thought, what an asshole. It's your clothes and everything? Clothes and everything and bo just shit, right? Yeah. So I was like, I was at first. I was like, all right, this is one of my. So I take two of the bags and go a hundred yards, go back and get the other two. And I was, this is untenable. So <laughs> I sat there for a second and felt sorry for myself. And then I got the idea and I started putting everything on. Yeah, <laughs> like the Michelin Man. And then I was tucking everything in, and I had and I had all sorts of shit. And I managed to to wear everything. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I I must have I, I must have looked insane. Yeah, and I did it, and I walked back, and I I walked back in you know record time, and I came back, and the look on his face, he was so pissed that I'd figured out an easy way to do it, <laughs> and in my mind I'm thinking like this is brilliant. Yeah. he should be celebrating. You were me. learning. That was that actual, was learning. Actual learning, applied cognitive skills. And he was so pissed at me. I I still remember that guy. He, he wanted you to walk back. He wanted, Somehow. Me, he wanted me to walk back and I have to drag them. He also did this thing where, I forgot what it was, but we, we had gone to this thing and we had bought a bunch of food and we hadn't okayed it or whatever. Yeah. And he wanted us to write letters to our parents saying, sorry that we had bought all this food. Right. Cheeseburgers and right. shit and charged it to our thing. What the fuck are your parents doing? I mean, were you like the- Well, my parents didn't- So my parents find out- and they're like, that's fine. We're happy that you got some food and whatever. And But this guy was like, you know, fuck these guys. Yeah. So he said, I want you, you got to, each one of you has to write a letter to your parents apologizing. And and then I'm going to okay them. I'll look at the letter before you send them off. So knowing that he was going to write it, <clears throat> that he was going to read it, I wrote this letter that was just an indictment of him. Yeah. 
And I said, Mom and Dad, I'm so sorry, but obviously uh, Mr. Shalou, et cetera, et cetera. And I just f- ripped into him. And I left it at his door. He came flying in. He said, you little fucking... And I said, how dare you? That's a correspondence between me and my parents. You're violating federal law. I was like, you know? Yeah. Um, and did he send it? No, he made me redo it. I was a... Pr- that was a... That, admittedly, it was now that I say it out loud, it's a dicky thing to do. And yet, I still maintain that it was... You had to. You it got, was funny. Yeah, sure. You got you to, gotta, like, you know, you know, kind of prod those guys. For sure. So you can see what they're really made of. Yeah. Um, and so what, so what happens? You go through all of high school at that place? So no, I, I leave there and I go to high school. Oh, why, what made them kick you out? Just a collection um, of things? Yeah, just a collection. Literally same thing. Just yeah. being a smart ass. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. they just, they didn't say you're kicked out, but at the end of, uh, 10th grade, they said, uh, we'll see you later. My, they recommended military <laughs> school for me. Really? My parents would never do that. No. They're like, yeah. I remember there was a period where they were looking, maybe you should go here. Like I, they, they were so clueless. Your My parents parent, were? Kind of. You know, they just, you know, they, I don't think they were that engaged. They were like, well, go to that school. It should be fine. And then, you know, when it comes down to it. But maybe not. I mean, the fact that they didn't, if they were really clueless, they would have said, yeah, you're right. Okay, we'll send them to military school. At least they didn't do that. Well, yeah, well, they weren't disciplinary and that's for sure. But I don't ever remember them helping me with homework or anything. I don't, I don't ever no. remember, you know, like, no. you know, what's going on in school. It's a different world. My, my kids um, said to me a few months ago, I picked them up yeah. um, and, you know, do the, the carpool lane. And uh, one of my sons said, you know, John Michael's mom, she comes in, she doesn't do carpool, she comes into the class and gets him. And as I'm driving, I'm like leaning over, I'm saying, hey, granddad, my dad, granddad didn't even know where my school was. You got, you got, I never saw my dad at my school, ever. Yeah, me neither, unless they were called in. Yeah, yeah maybe. Yeah. Did you ever, I, I remember I had a drunk electronics teacher. Really? Like there was like, I had three drunks for teachers. It was much more acceptable back then for teachers to be drunk. You could just smell them drunk. Yeah, I don't know if I ever smelled, but I knew that there were teachers who drank because they lived on campus. Yeah. Who drank at you night. You want me to check and see if uh, the missiles have been launched? Yeah. That's at any moment, right? God, I hope not. But it's a sad fucking state of affair that we've got to... Uh, not yet. Not that I've got. You got... What do you got? Anything? Let me see. Nothing yet. I feel like... Yeah. No. Okay. Okay. No, I feel like we're good. We're good for now. Okay. So what? So That's okay. the world we live in. Oh, it's, I, I I can't. Uh, I know. I'm having a hard time dealing with it. Yeah, me too. I, I can't imagine it. I, I just can't like anyone who's like connected, you know, I- intensely to what's happening. I can't imagine anyone going like, "This is good. It's going well." There's no way. But let's get back to yeah. uh, Canada and like, uh, wait, I think Toronto's a great city. The difference I always notice is like, this feels like a real city without the the menace. Yes. Like, yes. <laughs> like, you know, you just see, you see people sitting on park benches at 12 at night, you know, just taking it in and I'm like, what's happening? Yeah, what no, you- there's nothing happening. <laughs> and, and you know, it's funny, since I've, since I've left Toronto, there, yeah. there are people, including my parents, who will say, oh, no, 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 they had some shootings. It's almost like they're trying to <laughs> validate its, its status as a real down yeah. and dirty city. I used to make this, it's a stretch calling it a joke, but I, w- I would say a lot of people will say that Toronto is a a clean New York, and I prefer to think of it as a dirty Winnipeg, but there's some truth <laughs> to that, which is, yeah, I mean, as a kid growing up and as a teenager, there was never any uh, there was never any fear that anything bad was going to happen. Yeah, there's no edge to it. And, no. and like, you know, right now I, I could use that. I, I would feel like it would be a pleasant <laughs> yeah. few weeks if yeah. I <laughs> it would just... 
I wasn't I, terrified of my own people. Well, it's it's it was true that I moved. You know, I moved to New York in 1990. I was 20 years old. So wait, let's go back then. Let's so you you get you get kicked out of the prep school. You yeah. go to a regular high school. I, I went to a uh, what they call an alternative school in Toronto. Yeah, um, where. I didn't really have classes per se, and it was all kind of essay yeah. based, and it was run through the Toronto Board of Education. I love that when creative people actually go to those schools that where you sort of do what you want. How yeah. is that going to end up well? It, well, it you know it did. It, it, it turned out okay for me. Yeah, um, you know I'm here. You, and, you, um, you just like it was it like uh, like uh, it was kind of uh, like this. I was drinking coffee and talking to people. <laughs> I mean, I've been doing I've been doing this for forty, thirty five years, whatever it is. Yeah, uh, I guess it helps you learn who you are. It doesn't give you any practical skills for life, but not not if I were to want to do anything other than what I'm doing. <laughs> which is very, which is a gamble. It was a big. It worked gamble. out. It yeah. worked out. I said to my dad recently, I said, "Who knew that goofing off was going to pay off so well?" Yeah. Uh, what do you say? Uh, he agreed uh, <laughs> reluctantly, um, but. Yeah, I, I went to this school and I actually I studied uh, theater and I was able to get credit for it. And you studied I, it on your own or with a guy? No, I went to a. There was an actual theater in Toronto called yeah. Tarragon Theater, and they had a sort of a studio component yeah. there where they had. And my, I had my godmother wa- uh, ran this school. She was a good friend of my mom's, and my, and she's still around. And my aunt Judith, and um, she's. <laughs> ill right now but uh she's one of the more influential people in my life and she she was the person who actually kind of uh, really got me interested in learning on a different in a different way and i i sort of rue the fact that that didn't happen earlier because yeah. she encouraged me to read you know she'd say oh you know don't just read Heming. Don't just read The Sun Also Rises. Read all of Hemingway and tell me. What you, and and I just did it on my own. And I discovered things like reading became such an important part of my life because I was encouraged to do it and to engage in a way that. This was, is by your aunt. Yeah. Oh, it's nice to have one of those influences. You know the, the uh, the sort of um, creative intellectual yeah you know, push yeah for sure. And and who when I'm 16 and I say you know I think I want to be an actor. She's like that's great. Yeah. And here's what you should do. Yeah. Um and. Yeah. Yeah, and don't tell your parents. And don't tell your parents. <laughs> <laughs> and well, I'm I'm looking for from her. I'm looking for yeah. sort of official certification that this is the right move. Right. Um, and and that was a great move for me going there uh, and learning with her. And uh, it was a good time in my life. What was the theater like? I mean, what did it you was do good. There? You know what's funny? Um, my I, I, I took a class there. It was monologue writing. Yeah. And there was a guy in my class who was writing these bizarro monologues, and they were really funny, and he performed them himself. And I was 16, and he was probably 25 yeah. or 22. Yeah. Um, and he's trying to be an actor, a comedian, et cetera. And one day between, you know, like on a smoke break, because uh, I was already a heavy smoker. When uh, did you start? You know, 13 or yeah. something. What, what, Canadian cigarettes? Yeah. Which ones? Um, Players Light. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Mm. They're good. I, yeah, yeah, I used to like going. I used to like getting exotic cigarettes. Like, like I was Export a, a and Demore yeah, yeah, a. yeah. But I never liked the taste of them. They're too much. I, I, I smoke these. I, I you know, you I still quit. Smoke them. Well, I quit and then I'm back and yeah. I'm kind of like on my last. List. What are those? These are um, Marlboro Golds from Europe. They're that's all, all I'll smoke for a while. I was like, I'm I'm only going to smoke those because I can't get my hands on them. And then I just had people muling them for me. <laughs> I'd have, anytime I hear about somebody going to Europe, I'd be like, hey, can you give them 40 bucks to grab me some smokes? <laughs> it's fucking terrible. 
So you're smoking and you're talking. And to I'm the talking guy. to this guy, and he says, "Why don't you come down? You should come down next weekend. We're doing. Uh, I've got this comedy group, and uh, we're doing some stuff, some sketches at the Riv, yeah, in Toronto." And I was like, "Yeah, sounds great. Yeah. What are you guys called? The Kids in the Hall." <laughs> and it was uh, Mark McKinney. That's who was talking. Yeah. To you? And I, w- I took a monologue writing class. He doesn't know. He has no idea who I am. I'm sure. And it, today, I'm, I think, or at I'm, that time, he probably knows who you are now. Maybe, maybe. But you know, I was 16, and I, he was in my class. Yeah. Was, and he was, was he funny. Oh my god, he was so funny. He was yeah. the star of the class. Yeah. Uh, and he was absurd. Yeah. And I loved how absurd he yeah, was. Yeah. I, I had an appreciation for that. So I, what'd you do? Wait, you go to the kids in the hall show? I didn't go. <laughs> I've had so many things like that happen. I had years later in New York, um, I uh, I had I, I lived in a building uh, on Hudson Street, right across from the Holland Tunnel. Yeah, and the guy living upstairs oh. for me, what, yeah, it was terrible. Yeah, the building's not even there anymore. Yeah, it was rat and fest, and it was before like that area was cool. Yeah, we used to call the neighborhood work. Yeah, the only people who went there were people who went to work in those <laughs> that are buildings that are all condos now. Right. Um, and the guy upstairs for me was Damien Loeb, this painter, yeah. who kind of had a moment 15 years ago. Right. Uh, but he uh, he and I, my roommate worked at Goldman Sachs, mm-hmm. um, and so he paid more rent than I did. And uh, and then Damien and I would spend the day smoking cigarettes, and yeah. he, his art at that time consisted of, he'd take high def, he was one of the first guys I knew who had a high def uh, camera and television. High def videos of himself um, having sex with his Asian girlfriend, and then he'd make paintings uh, of that. Um, uh-huh. So I loved oh, going video. to the studio. Yeah. It was great. <laughs> right upstairs. Just watching him fuck people on yeah. camera. Yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> and he had a buddy of his, same thing. He's a DJ. I'm a DJ. Come yeah. see us play, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I'm, no, I'm good, Moby. Uh- <laughs> yeah, same thing. Uh, so Moby was hanging around. That must have been when he was just starting out, because he. I think Moby's from Connecticut. Yeah, like he, you know, and, and so so is Damien. Maybe they, yeah. that's where they knew each other. Yeah, but yeah. but uh, you know, I didn't really know him. Um, and he was he was definitely he didn't have a record deal or anything. Sure. Um, and then he made two records and made enough money to uh, live the rest of four lives. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, man. That's a fucking racket. That's the business. Yeah. Yeah, there's guys that did one record, two songs even. Yeah. I'm good. Back in that sweet spot, right yeah. before it went away, yeah. that was it. All right, so you wanted to be a serious actor. Yeah, so I moved to New York to, and I studied at after, Lee Strasberg. At, oh, you did? So after the, the theater thing, how old were you when you moved to New York? Like, 20. Oh, really? So yeah. you're like, I'm out. I'm out. I went, to, I went to college for half a year, and I dropped out, Concordia yeah. University in Montreal. And I, I got to college, um, and... I remember it was right around Christmas time. Yeah. And I remember all I was doing was partying like everybody else. Sure. And I remember thinking, this is it. I, I, I really did. And not that I'm not like some fucking visionary or I was nineteen years old and I thought, what what else I'm just gonna kind of do this and then move back to Toronto and a lot of the people I grew up with were there in Montreal at college and then everybody's going to go back to Toronto and just be friends forever in the same group yeah sort of upper middle class white kids yeah and I thought oh my god this is a nightmare and I got to get out of here <laughs> yeah and I I remember calling my parents from a payphone yeah there used to be a thing called a payphone where you'd go and you'd put money in just yeah. for the listeners. Yeah, and they were kind of they were kind of dirty. They were kind of dirty. Yeah. yeah, and they had stuff. Carved I see in. some of them around sometimes. I'm like, wow, look at that. I saw two in New York last week. Yeah, 
bizarre. It is well, weird. Well, it did, one of them didn't have a phone in it, sure. but I used it to make a call because it was quiet. Right. And it was out of the way. light a cigarette. Yeah. I used to duck into pay oh. phones to do one hits off of weed. <laughs> sure. <laughs> oh, the one hitter. Oh, the best. Oh, the best. God damn it. Um, and uh, yeah, so I called my parents. So and you I had the, out. the white light moment. Yeah, you, you saw your 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 death through mundanity. And exactly, and I and and I to my dad's credit, he said, "Okay." I said, "I got to do this," and and they said, "Well, what are you what are you proposing?" And I said, "I got to go and try go to New York. It was Being always going to be New York." Yeah. And they said, "Okay, well, you're going to have to come back." And I got a job for six months. Yeah. Uh, in Toronto to make enough money so that I could I could move to New York. What was the job? I was selling uh, paper towel and toilet paper and stuff like that. This guy I knew started this company. Really? Do, yeah. Do you remember? Um, <laughs> do you remember? Oh, not do you remember? They're, they still exist. It's that Swedish company that says uh, it's Torque or something. Mm-hmm. And you know, you you pull the paper down from the middle. It's like a big round dispenser. Mm-hmm. And um, oh yeah, and then some of the the toilet paper rolls sure. are huge rolls. Yeah, the, you see them in uh, airports, in and airports things. and shit. Yeah, and at the time they they were just coming to North America from Sweden, uh-huh. and this guy got a distributorship or whatever, and I worked for him. He was a year older than me, and he had this company, and uh, and you'd go to places and go look yeah. at this. Yeah, go to try bar, it. Go ahead, bars try it. and restaurants and sell yeah. it to them, and then I'd install it as well. I was a one man, you know, a one man twerking yeah. seller. So I'd go in, they'd, you know, some restaurant would be like, okay, yeah, we want to switch over all our. And by the way, I knew nothing about construction. I mean, installation, all sure. that kind of shit. Yeah. And I had like a toolbox. Yeah. And I go into their bathroom and I'm like putting <laughs> in fucking in through the drilling through tile. Like I just learned I'd fucking crack shit and whatever and I'd ruin. And then, you know, I'd, I'd do, I just did it. It's a commission gig? It was a commission gig. And uh, so you were a good salesman. I was decent. Yeah. I was decent. You made enough to go to New York. I made enough to, to move to New York for uh, for one year. Yeah. And now you know about that company. What yeah. is it called? Torque? Torque. 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 They're T- still around. Yeah, they, they, Q, I think. Right? Yeah, they're, they're sort of problematic with toilet paper sometimes because if, if, the, if the end is not hanging out- Then you're screwed. Yeah, it's hard to get in And it's in heavy, there. so you got to roll it yeah, with your like hand. A, yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, I've, yeah. I, I'm not happy with the product. No, especially in a place where I you want- I want a refund, Will. Well, where you want to touch the least <laughs> amount of things as possible- <laughs> I say to my kids now when we go into public, I'm like, don't touch anything. <laughs> um, do what you got to do and yeah. make it to the sink. Yeah. And then air dry your hand. And just do what, mm-hmm. but just don't touch. Uh, so I did that. Yeah. And then I moved to New York. And what was the plan? That was where you lived in the work neighborhood? That No, first I lived, uh, I lived on the Upper East Side. I got an huh. apartment from, I sublet an apartment from a girl who was, who had been at Strasbourg and she sold it to me. All right, so how oh so how did you get into that program? I went down and met with them. Uh flew down to New York before you went. Before I went. Yeah. Um and uh and met with them and uh and then I went back. That was sort of like Did you audition or who was it? Did you remember the teachers? I don't remember the teacher then. I did I did like a monologue. Uh I don't remember who the teacher was then, but I had a very influential teacher at Strasbourg. Who was that? Acting teacher, this guy, George Loras. Yeah. L-O-R-O-S. So I get in, I go back to Toronto. Yeah. I, I grab all my shit, yeah. which was nothing. Yeah. I The first five years that I lived in New York, I could move, I moved a lot. Um, I could move with one cab. 
Because I had like two bags. I had nothing. And a futon? And a futon. Yeah. Barely. I didn't even own a bed at first. Like I Just was, go buy a futon. Buy yeah. a new futon. Throw it on the floor. You know what? A yeah. futon mattress on the floor, I still to this day think that's the best sleeps I ever had. You think so? Yep. I had one on 21st Street for years. I lived on 21st Street uh, between 7th and 8th. Yeah. And I I remember those as being like the deepest sleeps. Maybe I had no worries back then. Maybe. I, I mean, I remember like- I remember I, the day I realized that futons were kind of a racket. Like there, you know, you had your basic futon that got hard, yeah. you know, over a year or so, which was pretty good. But then he started doing foam cores and layers, and like I started to realize, like this you know, beds in general, I think it's some sort of scam. Maybe, although it, yeah. you know, people will argue, hey, listen, you spend a third of your life in bed. It I should know. be, yeah, that should be the highest yeah. ticket. I remember I when I got a very expensive futon frame, pulled it up off the floor, but my uh, apartment on the Lower East Side was not really big enough to accommodate it spatially. Yeah, so one room was just the bed frame sure yeah <laughs> i i see now i never liked the frame uh-huh. they were never comfortable to me so yeah. i just had and i would roll it up during the day yeah so i had, had more room. space yeah uh all right so you're there five years what are you doing <clears throat> well, what'd you learn what well, do you what do you use now what did you take with you uh what's God, your technique and craft uh, yeah the only thing i like talking about more than actor's craft is independent film yeah um <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, it's like I talk to people that go to Strasbourg and I've talked to actors and like they're, you know, I, I guess it's all like, I believe that if you have some sort of talent for it, you have it. But I mean, you do learn something. Well, you know, it's yes, you do learn something. And I, I, I you know, I had a lot of great, te- I did have some good teachers. I had, you know, you first start there, you're learning. It's all sense memory stuff. It's methods, you know, all, all that. Kind did of you, thing. you could wrap your brain around that? Uh, a little at first I thought well what the fuck is this shit and then and you're doing you're sitting in a chair and the whole point is to try to relax as much as you can on an uncomfortable chair yeah um, what in, it, in your mind you're like this can't be this happening. can't be yeah, how is this going to help me be on Law and Order um, but what it did do was it helped me kind of tap into the idea of fo- like sort of focusing on and concentrating on what I I guess what I uh, you know being being in the moment, yeah, I suppose. Sure, um, but I had a George Loris was great because when a lot of the other teachers were talking about the method and all these things that you in preparation, yeah, he would then say he he had been a working actor, he'd done a million things, and and he said, "There's no set and the, there's no director who's going to wait for you to fucking get into fucking character. You got to be ready to go." And he was yeah much more about the practical application, right? And his number one thing was about being sensitive to the material and. And he was, he was a really great teacher in that way. I remember him, uh, this other guy doing a, guy and a girl were doing a scene. I forget what it was from. Yeah. And George would sit in the front row of this little theater. And they're doing a scene where the guy's bringing the girl home for a date or something. Yeah. And he says, I'm going to stop you right there. Yeah. And he says to the guy, Tony, he says, Tony, what is your objective in this scene for your character? <laughs> and this guy, Tony's like, well, I, you know, I'm going to come home and this girl. And he goes, no, 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 Tony. You want to fuck her cunt. He's, and then everybody goes, oh, Jesus, George. And all the women in the class are like, George. And he turns, I remember this thing, he turns around and goes, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, vagina. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, as hilarious as that was, it was also very helpful. You know, it helped me kind of break down like, oh, yeah, that's... Breaking down scenes and all that kind of thing is very just, it's all yeah. just about applying logic. And, yeah, I need to get better at that as an actor too. Because like I just sort of show up in it and you know yeah. from the lines, I'm like, all right, I need to, I know what's going on. But like I think if you really 
put an objective in there yeah in your head yeah it probably it'll probably hang the words on something a little better yeah i, I think yes and it yeah. probably will I, there are all sorts of like little things i feel like it's always just about stuff that you pick up along the way yeah and you hear things here and there i remember a girlfriend that i had years ago whom i lived with in new york yeah she had done um she did uh Dead Man Walking. She was in the in the first bit of that. And she had told me, I heard this secondhand that Tim Robbins had said, the most important thing is entrances and exits. And that stuck with me as a, you know, as a 25 year old, I was like, okay, yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. And that's Open always big, close big. Yeah. And it's <laughs> always been a thing that's kind of in the back of my mind. Yeah. I don't know if I actually practically apply it every yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. And I since have gotten to know him a little bit. And I, Who, I Tim? said, Tim Robin, yeah. and I saw him a year ago. We were shooting in Venice and he came by on his bike. We were chit-chatting. I said, hey, by the way, do you remember Missy? He was in your, I remember years ago, she told me this and I told him that. And he kind of like, oh, did I? Like, he didn't even remember. That's not even his thing necessarily. <laughs> like, he thought it was like a Buddha moment. He's yeah. like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. But no, but it's weird how things like that, that makes sense to me. Like, you know, when you walk in. Yeah. Or, you know, right when your scene starts. Yeah. You know, plant yourself. And then, you know, take the beats necessary to exit beautifully somehow. Absolutely. People don't remember everything in the middle. Yeah. All they remember is is you coming in yeah. and you leaving. And especially if it's a laugh line on either of those. Absolutely. The, the exit laugh line, very powerful, even memorable. In, even in life, if, yeah. I, if I get a decent enough laugh, yeah. I'm looking for the exit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then, like, usually you do it and then you come back and you're like, I don't know where I was going. <laughs> Yeah, everyone's like, where the fuck are you going? I do You're that. driving this airplane. Yeah, I like I do that in fights too. Like, yo, fuck this, fuck you, I'm out. And then you walk out and you're like, where am I going? You're like, hey, I don't know, I'm okay now. Or do you have a lot of fights? Used to. You did? Yeah, I tried to cut back on it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was, uh, I had to sort of search myself and figure out what was really going on there. And mm. it was... Um, just uh, an insane uh, uh, discomfort with intimacy and the idea that I was being manipulated constantly. Yeah. <laughs> Shit, man. I mean, it sounds like you're on top of it. Can I smoke in here? <laughs> yeah. No, like I, what, what, like what I realized lately because of the woman I'm with now was is interesting is that, you know, I'd get upset about something and I'd start a fight and she says to me, she goes, you know, you're arguing with yourself. You're, you're just making up all this stuff that I'm doing and I'm not doing anything. And I, and I had this moment like, that's kind of true, but you're kind of fucking with me now, though, right? Yeah. <laughs> but you've already, so you've already kind of had half the argument before you get yeah, to the conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, projecting. Yeah. You know, you're just projecting all these things that they did or they're doing or they're thinking, and it's really all your insecurity. I think you're like arguing with yourself. It's funny you say that. I think I do that. I I realize that that I sometimes will maybe do a version of that, and then I'll come in and I'll, and I'll go. Everything okay? Yeah. And they're like, yeah, why not? And then they're like, oh, because we've just had an argument. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I went through some shit with you in my head. Where's that? Is there an ashtray that works well, over this there? This is okay. Did Obama smoke? No. Okay, good for you. He had a tea. Did he? Sat there and had a tea. I was hoping he smoked, but he didn't He didn't smoke. I, I think he manages it. Good yeah. for him. I think he's a gum guy. Do you, do you think he's smoking now? Has he had one, do you think, since? Yeah, I probably. Yeah. I, I don't know that. I, I, don't, I can't assume but I think he's like got it down because you know he's got you know he's got a family and you know he's mm. older and it's sort of a hard habit to defend after a certain point. Oh, it's the, <laughs> it is the worst. Yeah. I liken it to uh, I, I often say that I'm it's like I'm cleaning the gun that I'm going to use to shoot myself with. Yeah, yeah, it's oh this oh no this I'm just <laughs> this, this is the thing that's going to kill me. Yeah. And I'm just getting it ready. Yeah, yeah, it looks good though, right? Looks Feels great. good. 
I eat these nicotine lozenges all the fucking time. Let me look at these. They're great. Nicotine lozenges. Yeah, I feel great. Like, are they? Oh my god! Like you know, like for me, because I'm a fucking drug addict. Yeah, same. Uh, no, you I'm not know, a drug addict. I'm a drunk. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you're you're an addictive personality. Yeah. But like you know, I get what I I get the buzz. Do you know what I mean? Like if I like I I look forward to it at night. You know, I'm gonna wake up and have one with my coffee, yeah. and I'm gonna feel it. Yeah. Yeah. Like sometimes the gum, it's like you feel it, but then it goes away too quick because you chew it too fast. But this. But these, you kind of let them linger in your mouth. Yeah. It's a good delivery system. It is. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Good delivery system. So what? how do you land the first roles? What are they? What happens? <clears throat> do you think like, when did you become Will Arnett? That was Arrested Development where everyone was like, that's the guy. I was always him. I was just waiting for everybody else to uh, uh, yeah. figure it out. Yeah, but you did um, some things that weren't necessarily comedy, no? Or was it yes. always comedy? No. I... I um, I did some. In, I, I well, first I started working in New York. Uh, I I did a. Uh, I was doing a kind of a off about as far off Broadway uh, one act play, and uh, a girl who worked at William Morris. Yeah, um, in New York back then. Uh, what was the one act play? It was called Answers. Yeah, and uh, it was like about a guy and the cops get him to confess to something he didn't do, yeah. and it was like you know. And I played this kind of like small theater, tiny theater, like ninety nine yeah. seat theater. Yeah. And I, you know, I played this kind of like sort of junky kind yeah. of, you know. And by the way, when I was and I was twenty three, when I was twenty three, I looked like I was twelve. Yeah, it was not. Um, but uh, I was applying all my acting. <laughs> you were doing it, yeah. taking those pauses, oh working the God. chair. Oh, yeah. And she brought me into uh, William Morris. Uh-huh. And while I was there meeting uh, with you know these agents and and they were going to start sending me out, one of them said you should go and talk to the people in the voiceover department, and uh, and I said sure what what's that? <laughs> and they said have you ever thought about the voices on commercials and stuff? And I said no, it's never <laughs> no, occurred to me. Those are people. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, there are voices on commercials. Yeah. Uh, and I went and I talked to them and they they said well we're going to start sending you out and and. Immediately, they started, uh, uh, you know, sending me to auditions, and it, it wasn't very long. I'm going to say probably two months into it, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I got my first gig uh, for for <clears throat> a healthcare company out of New England uh-huh. called Harvard Community Health Plan. Uh huh. We're what healthcare should be. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in. Yeah. Yeah. And they flew me to Boston to to record it, which was. Kind of unusual, um, but it was. I guess it was because it was a whole radio and television campaign, and they were all there. Yeah. It was like kind of twenty commercials. Yeah. yeah. I was recording. Right. They brought me up there, and I think they were probably surprised when I walked in. Yeah. Because I sounded like an older right. guy. Who yeah, was, yeah. You've was always had refined. that refined voice. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then I was like a punk kid. Yeah. Mm. But you did it. I did it, and then I started working a lot um, in voiceover, and I was able to pay the bills. And and then some, and you know, I became the voice of Evian Water, and uh, you know, Boston Market, and Lay's Potato Chips, wow, and Hershey's Cookies and Cream. Really? So you oh. were making money? Yeah, the the I was making real money. And and the funny thing, uh, I said recently, actually, I was it occurred to me, I was making like executive level money. Yeah. And I would do things like Lockheed Martin. I would do all these weird corporate things like Sunday golf type. Yeah. commercials yeah um aim investments yeah. invest with confidence yeah you know stuff like that yeah uh and again i was like this punk ass kid yeah, who yeah. was like burning out in new york and uh but it was it became it was 
very lucrative and it meant that I didn't have to have, you know, a lot of my friends were waiting tables sure. or whatever and, right. and I didn't have to do that. And I probably got lulled into a, a sort of a, a comfort level. Were you boozing a lot? Yeah. Yeah. That was, was, was that constant? No, there were a few years where I wasn't. And then, and then I was in the mid to late nineties, I was, and, uh, I was boozing a lot. Um, and I would go to McManus a lot on you know on Seventh Avenue and Nineteenth yeah. Street. That was my spot. Oh yeah. It ended up becoming like a big kind of after UCB hangout. Um, oh, it's a shitty little bar, right? Yeah. So you were like you were the kind of drinker that was a shitty little bar, but it was still a shitty little bar. It was it, yeah. It was before it was like a, a hangout. It became that because my buddy, you know Ali Farinakian. Yeah, I do. So it was because of Ali used to hang out with. I knew Ali through different guys from North Carolina. And really? That, that's how I kind of met all all those sort of UCB people and stuff. Um, and my ex-wife was through Ali. Oh, yeah. yeah. I remember him. I, like, doesn't he teach now? And yeah. he's like- you know, He's like, got his own theater, the, right, the pit. Right. And like, you know, there were, I remember there was like period of when, because I remember when the UCB showed up in New York. Yeah. You know, I remember when they, you know, they were doing, you know- um, you know, Luna Lounge with me, and then they started that first theater with the with the weird seats, the one that Walsh lived on top of. Oh no, that yeah, that one. That was the one on Twenty Second Street. That yeah. was their first theater. But right. before that, they were doing, they would do Ascat on Sunday nights upstairs, Seventeenth uh, Street. What the fuck was that place called? And I remember a young Jake Fogelnest sure. being in the front row, and he was just a fan, and him like kind of tittering with his friends yeah you know and uh i mean of course now i've since known jake for years i knew him when his dad used to bring him to comedy shows yeah like when he was like at 10 well i remember and his dad would be around sometimes back yeah. then and uh one of my agents from william morris from back in the day in 1996 it was like january 96 and he says to me you've got it i've i've just got this new uh young comedy troupe from chicago and they've moved here yeah and they're performing at the West Bank Theater on 42nd Street, the mm -hmm. restaurant downstairs, there's a little theater. Yeah, I remember that. And it was UCB doing uh, Bucket of Truth, mm -hmm. their sketch show. Yeah. And it was uh, Walsh and Besser and Ian and Amy. Yeah. Uh, and they did Bucket of Truth. And that was the first, and it was Peter Principato. Yeah. Was then, who's now my, has been my manager for years. Still? Still. I remember him. Yeah. Yeah. And Peter's been, and he was my agent starting in 93. I remember when he was an agent. Yeah. Him in his leather jacket coming around. <laughs> I just spoke to him the whole way here. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Peter had said, you got to go see these guys. I think I was kind of a dick to him. Yeah, I was. I never really had the social graces to uh, understand uh, how show business worked. I, I would always go out of my way to be a dick to all the people that could possibly help me. Sure. <laughs> That was your badge. Yeah, that was yeah, that was that's what kept me out of the uh, the the real work for a long time. So wait, so so this agent, so you do all these voiceovers. So yeah. when do you just start kicking into the acting? So I did a couple independent films. Yeah, um, and uh, none of them kind of really did anything. Um, and it was back when they were making a lot of independent films all yeah. over the place. It was very in vogue, and <clears throat> I got my first kind of really sort of paying acting gig I did a pilot for CBS and it was in 96 it was that that same winter 96 yeah I did a pilot for Warner Brothers CBS yeah called Grant and Lee and Kevin Pollack was the star yeah um and I was auditioning in New York for pilots and they saw my tape and 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 flew me out to test for it it was a yeah big, 
big deal. And, you know, I, I, I guess I never, I always liked sort of the idea of comedy, but I never really talked about it in that way. I wasn't a stand up. I didn't right. come up through sketch. Um, it just didn't seem like something that was on my, it just wasn't on my radar. Right. Yeah. And it wasn't a thing in New York as much. There was stand up, certainly. Right. But the sketch thing wasn't. Hadn't happened yet. Hadn't really happened, as right. you know. Yeah. Um, and so anyway, I, I, I went, I did this pilot and, and it didn't get picked up, but I kind of did okay, I think. And then I started auditioning and testing more for pilots. And uh, every year I would sort of, te- I started testing and they would fly me out for five, ten pilots, and yeah. and I get really close. And then I did uh, I did another pilot a few years later um, for, at this time, I, I will say I was, uh, I was boozing, and I probably didn't look my best and was not in the best form. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, but, you know, I could still do my voiceovers and sure. making increasing bank. Yeah. Um, so I was like, fuck it, I don't care. And then I had a moment, I was like, all right, I gotta get my shit together and kind of pare that down and, and quit it. But right right before that, I did a pilot uh, with my friend Michael Malley called The Michael Malley Show. I remember him. NBC, yeah. Didn't he famously lose his mind for a minute? No, that's one of those, that's a story that's kind of taken on its own life. He had, during this show, he, it was back when they were giving out these big development deals. Right, I remember, I, yeah. had, I had one, not, yeah. uh, not as big, but yeah. But yeah, yeah, you had one, and they and lots of people had these. Yeah, and and uh, Mike had this this big deal, and he went he went to make a movie from the time we shot the pilot till the time we were shooting the the series. He went and made the movie. I think it was twenty eight days. The, he, it was yesteryear, right? Wasn't that the uh, he, he ended, ended up being up, on yesteryear? Right. Yeah. So he went to make the movie. So he went to make the movie, and he comes back, and and. Uh, he felt like the writing staff had gotten way off of what he, the original idea was. Yeah. And Mike is, he's still a, a very close friend of mine and one of the all time great guys, great people. He's a solid Yeah, person. I always see him in things and he's good. You know, I saw him and he was in Scully. He was good. He's really good. He's a good actor. He's a really good writer. Yeah. And, and, but, but most of all, he's a incredibly good guy. Yeah. Um, and he wrote this, what became to be known as a manifesto <laughs> to all his writers. Yeah. Saying, look, I've I've got this responsibility. He's he's from New Hampshire. He's you know s- sort of blue collar. Like yeah. he, he's like he took it really seriously that they gave him all this money. And he felt a sense of responsibility to do the right thing with his show and make it the best version possible. So right. He wrote this thing, and uh, really out of a good place. And somebody in the writers' room immediately faxed it to every other writers' room. Yeah, leaked it, leaked it, and it was in the, and then they printed it in the Hollywood Reporter. And he became, and everybody was, you know, he was basically the laughing stock. And I remember the day that that happened, and he was so, he's like, I fucked up. I, I shouldn't have, I guess I shouldn't have given a shit. And he was so despondent. Yeah. And I thought, you know what? Fuck everybody else. That's bullshit. He's such a good guy. If there's anybody that did not deserve it, it was him. And he be he became known as the guy who like lost it for a minute. And he, <laughs> by no means, there's nobody who's, if there's anybody who never lost it, it's Mike O'Malley. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad he survived. You know, because it was as, like, you know, at that time, itself. I'm sure I was like, oh, geez, that guy. I know. Probably had my own resentment about him. Well, as you know, it's like, it's the, uh, everybody, is, you know, in this town, especially, it's like, don't let him see you trying. You yeah, know? yeah. Yeah, so I did all these things, and then and then eventually, I uh, around 2000, uh, I got sober, and I kind of got my shit together. You've been sober that long? Well, I had a I had a uh, a moment last year where after 15 years, I kind of went out um, 
because everybody was talking about rosé and it was never around before. Rosé? Uh, it's a bit, but <laughs> but uh, but I ended up, you know, having a sort of a moment. For how long was um, that moment? Let's let's call it six months, but I don't want to get yeah, into yeah, the particulars. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, um, and I I actually talked about it recently, and 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 I sort of did this interview with the Hollywood Reporter last year, and I kind of. Mentioned that, and then uh, of course, immediately it's like the Daily Mail, like Arnett hits hits the bottle, like as if I'm like living under a bridge. I'm like, yeah. no, fuck, that's not what happened. Yeah, but, yeah you can't do it. Yeah, so I'm like you can't talk about it because yeah. people just use everything against you. This is quickbait. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, that was the moment back then that that kind of my in two thousand two thousand yeah um, summer of two thousand, and um, that was a sort of a pivotal moment in my life, um, and. And then I, I was living out here briefly in, in Venice. And Did you I, get married? Were you married twice? Yeah, I got married when I was very young, uh, when I was 24 briefly for a month. It's on my Wikipedia page. Uh, um, yeah. I put it on there a long time ago. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, for a month. Literally like a month, yeah. It was one of the, I was 24 Yeah. and kind of caught up in the moment. And as soon as we did it, I was like, oh God. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like at City Hall in New York. How long have you known her? A month. No. Yeah, swear to God. So you knew her a month and yeah. you went and got married. And I wasn't drinking. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just no good. It was just stupid. It was It was like- And she thought it was stupid? Uh, eventually she did, yeah. <laughs> Initially she wasn't psyched that, that I- that I came to Jesus before she did. Um, <laughs> yeah. But again, I was, you know, I was 20, I was so dumb. I was 24. I mean, young people are dumb. No, I know. And I include yeah. myself in that well, young you know, people. You get, you get caught up in feelings. We're, yeah. we're sensitive people, us yes. people. Yes. Yeah. And you're like, this is it. And then you realize like, well, I, I learned what not it is. Yes. <laughs> and, 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 uh, you know, I realized years later, like, oh, I still am capable of making major mistakes. Hard, man. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, getting to know like you, the patterns. Yeah. That's a fucking trick. Yes. And then and then knowing them is one step. And then the next step is like, don't do that. Yeah. Well, uh. learning to go, the hardest thing for me to learn how to do was to go take a, take a beat. Yeah. Um, don't be impulsive. Ugh. And let it sit for a second yeah and then react and you know you i can, don't need to have a reaction you like, can do that yeah i'm i'm better at it yeah yeah so all right so tell me about uh, how arrested development happened because that's like so i moved back to, i was in i was living in new york now i moved back to new york you want because, me to check and see if we're in, at war yeah let's see uh, i don't get anything oh wait shit no it's beyonce we okay. all agree that that mar-a-lago is not the winter white house right well, we all agree it's not the place to have, you know, national security confidential classified briefings at the table. With other with diners. Other, <laughs> other diners around. Yeah. That's not the best way to. That's not the best way to conduct uh, classified uh, international security issues. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I moved back to New York. Um, Amy, uh, my ex-wife, Amy Poehler. When did you meet her, though? I mean, I know you met her way back, and you so know I, at, I uh, met her way back. We we'd sort of met before, and then I I met her. Um, I went uh, as Ali Farnakin's date to a dinner uh-huh. to uh, Cafe Lou in New York in the nineties. No, this is like late two thousand. I'd gone back to New York. We we had met before, but this was the first time right. we were. You just gotten sober. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, 
like four months before. Oh, so that's always a good time to make impulsive decisions. Uh, yes. Yeah. Well, you know, it, uh, in my defense, I wasn't really doing, I was just kind of, I'd come back to New York for a couple of weeks. I was visiting my sister yeah. and uh, Ali said, I'm going to this dinner yeah. uh, with my buddy Fred Weller and his then girlfriend, now wife and Ali and, and my buddy Jack. And, and uh, yeah. uh, my my friend had gone on a, on a date with Amy and, yeah. and then she was coming to this dinner, but it wasn't really working out with them. This is post Matt, Amy. Yeah. Post Matt Besser. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, she, and we just, we hit it off and we started, we chatted the whole night oh, and, yeah. uh, and then she came to California and, and they were doing shows out here, uh, that January and we yeah. continued to, and we went out a couple times and it was great. And then we started dating and uh, she was basically, uh, out here kind of with me and I did a pi another pilot uh, she was doing a pilot at the time with Judd uh, called North Hollywood mm -hmm. with, with uh, uh, Jason Siegel and Judd Reinhold uh -huh. um, and then and then she got SNL right um, and it was like July of that year uh, 2001 and she was like should I do this yeah and it was like a real um I mean, I'm not violating it. It was just, you know, we talked about it and she wasn't sure. And I said, yeah, let's, let's go. And so we moved back to New York. S, uh, uh, arrested happened like this. So Amy was doing SNL and, uh, not married yet. We were not married. Uh, <clears throat> we were, we, then we then got engaged. Yeah. Like a year and a half later. Um, and I did a pilot, another pilot, uh, for, CBS, uh, 20th for CBS. So you're working. I mean, you know, between voiceovers and pilots and, and guest yeah. appearances, yeah. I mean, you're making a living and yeah. it's good. Yeah, I was you're making both, a good living yeah. and, and I was I was kind of content in yeah. a way. Yeah. And and we were, I was doing a pilot basically every spring, yeah. it seemed like. And I do this pilot though and it gets picked up and, and everybody's kind of celebrating and I had a bad feeling just about the way that everybody was kind of dealing with me. And I remember saying to Peter Principato, there's something, something's up. And yeah. he's like, no, you're crazy, you're paranoid. Yeah. And I said, yes, I know. But in addition to that, something's up. Yeah. And sure enough, I got fired off this pilot, the show called Still Standing that ran for a few years on CBS. Yeah. And I remember, I remember getting the call from Peter saying, I don't know how the fuck you knew, but you were right. Yeah. Um, and I felt at this point I'd been doing it long enough that I could sense, you know, shit like that. And, yeah. And, uh, and I was I was really mad on a lot of levels. I was disappointed, you know, that I was fired. You feel kind of embarrassed. You feel like people care. Obviously, nobody notices. Yeah. But you feel like um, you just you feel shitty. And I remember my friend Brian Callen, who's a stand-up. You know, yeah. Brian, Brian saying to me, "Oh, what? You're mad that you're not going to have one scene a week where you come in and you're the guy who goes, hey, what the hell happened to my couch?' He's yeah, like, yeah. "You should be happy. Yeah, they're doing you a favor." And it was. He's like, stop, stop feeling, you know, sorry for yourself. And so that, that fall, I decided to do a play. There was a guy I had done a, a reading with the summer before, a couple summers before in New York stage and film up at Vassar. And he was coming to New York and he was doing a play about the, the uh, tragedy at Lockerbie called The Women of Lockerbie uh -huh. with the new group in uh -huh. New York. I call Peter Principato and I say, I'm not reading for anything for pilot season. And he's like, don't be, and I said, no, you know what? I'm done. I'm done with being disappointed. Um, and I don't want to have anything to do with it anymore. You know, I'm not going to audition and boy, the TV business is going to be really missing me. Yeah. Um, and 
Then I get a, I remember my friend started talking about this script, Arrested Development, and the woman who cast the show that I got fired from the year before, Deb Barilski, when I was fired, sent me a handwritten letter. Yeah. And said, um, which is really sweet, and she said, I'm, I thought you were great on this show. Uh, I don't want you to, don't take this personally that they fired you. I think they made a big mistake. I think you're a talented guy, and I think it's a real injustice, et cetera, et cetera. And it was very sweet. I've never, nobody's ever done that before and or since. Um, and she was casting Arrested Development, Dad Brilski. And she called Peter Principato and she said, there's this part of the brother who's a magician and they can't cast it. Um, and Will should come in and read for it. And Peter called me and I said, you know what? It's very nice of Deb, but I'm not interested. I'm doing this fucking play about the women of Lockerbie. Remember the tragedy over Lockerbie? Yeah. And so Deb ended up calling me. Yeah. And she's like, you just got to read for it. And I said, fine. <laughs> and he faxed me, you know, the fax rolled paper. Yeah. To my our apartment that we had down in, in Tribeca at the time. And I took the subway up to read, you know, to go to some office. Yeah. The West Side and- be put on tape by an assistant. Yeah. yeah. And I just read the size. I just got the size. I don't even have the script. Yeah. I, I might have the script, but I, I didn't read it. I was yeah. like, fuck that. I'll read the size. Yeah. Put it on tape. Don't think about it. <laughs> I get a call the next morning. They're like, great. They want you to fly out to California and they're going to make a test deal. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's funny when you don't give a shit. Yeah. You're like, all right, all right. I'll Not call. only do I not give a shit, yeah. I go to meet my buddy Giles, who's my, my oldest buddy who lives here now. And yeah. Pete Giles, he and I are at. McManus, he's still drinking at the time. Yeah. So it's like Friday at one and he's and we're playing video golf. We played Golden Tea for hours. <laughs> yeah. The amount of money and time I put into Golden Tea, <laughs> yeah. I could have gone to law school twice. <laughs> do you golf in real life? I do, but my golf, you know, these yeah. days I hurt my knees. So yeah. I'm, old. I'm old. But uh so I'm playing video golf, I'm playing Golden Tea at McManus with Giles. And Prince Pato calls me again. He's like, Listen, man, you gotta you gotta go home and sign your test deal because you know you sign a test deal before you audition your final test. Sure. You, they work out your contract. And then you go before network. You go before network so that if they want you, yeah. you can't go, great, so my price is double. Right, I get it. You've already made your Yeah, deal. I've been in that situation. Yeah. It, so, makes it, it, makes the, it makes this sort of, that fucking, when you gotta go in that room full of the network people and everything else and you've signed a test deal, it's just the worst fucking experience. It's the worst. And, and if you think about it, if you're an out-of-work actor who doesn't have a lot of dough, you've now got the extra carrot of, oh, you could make X amount of money yeah. if you do this right. Yeah. And if you don't, your year is fucked. Yeah. It's terrible. And you pay your own flights. Yeah, all that shit. Yeah. So I go, so he keeps calling me. Have you? I'll go home and I'll sign it. The deal was the studio couldn't look at my tape until I signed my test deal. Mm. And he, they keep calling. And I go, Pete, if they keep calling, they've already looked at it. Yeah. <laughs> I go, why aren't you renegotiating the deal, you fucking, like, come on. <laughs> anyway, I go home, I sign it. I fly out to California. I, I remember so well that weekend. I have a cold. Uh, I felt crappy. It was like February, late February uh, 2003. And uh, I hang out. I see Brian Callen. Yeah. Uh, I see him there. And it's uh, it's like a work session with the Russo brothers and Mitch. And Brian and I read with each other out in the hall at the old TV building over at, at the Fox lot. And Brian says to me, he's like, you're going to get this. Wouldn't read him. I said, no fucking way. He's like, yeah. And I've, I was so jaded. I was like, not happening. Yeah. I go in, I work with those guys. It goes kind of okay. Fine. I leave it. I'm sick enough that I don't even, again, I still don't care. Yeah. And you hadn't read the script. 
and at this point, I maybe had read the script, yeah. but like whatever. Do you re- remember liking it or thinking it was? Yes, it was. It was good. Yeah, it it was very good. But it it also had it had Mitch had written like a disclaimer on the front on the cover letter. Yeah, saying this is going to be shot handheld. There are going to be no. It's not going to be uh, business as usual. No trailers. It's yeah. going to be all guerrilla style. I remember thinking, "Fuck you, dude." Yeah. Um, what do you think this is? Art, <laughs> and uh, it's commerce, man. <laughs> and I go in jaded, so jaded TV already. Jaded. Yeah. TV thirty-three year old yeah. jaded. Yeah. I go in Monday morning, and I re- and I Tony Hale was out there too, who uh, played Buster, and his wife Martell at the time was a makeup artist on SNL. I knew Tony a little bit. Yeah, he and I read the same morning, also with Jessica Walter, whom I'd done my first pilot with, Kevin Pollack. Uh-huh. She played the mom on Arrested. She and I had done that together. And it was just like a weird kind of everything coming together. And I go in and I test, and and I got the show. Um, and that doesn't sound menacing, does it? No. Not, okay, good. If they're looking for anybody out here, it's you, by <laughs> <Yeah>. the way. <laughs> um. And, yeah, it uh, goes well. And I stayed. I stayed in California because we we had we did a table read that night, and I stayed because we hit over the course of the next few weeks we just made. The, do they cast you? Like, or like, yeah, I go in. I remember going in right before I go in. Mitch is there, and he says, um, <clears throat> "He's like, you're going to get this." <laughs> now it's his show, and I go, "Don't say that." Yeah, and it was I was reading against um, uh, Alan Ruck. Yeah, I remember from Ferris Bueller's, and he was on Spin City. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good actor. Yeah, he's funny. Yeah, Alan and Rain Wilson. Yeah, Alan goes. I go in first. Uh, then I come out and I go again. I'm sick. I go in to like blow my nose and wash my hands. I feel terrible. Then Alan comes out in that time. Yeah, and then they and then Mitch and everybody comes out. And Mitch is like, "You got it." To to me. Yeah. Alan's barely left, and Rain is still sitting in the thing. And I've been in his position. He's fine now. Yeah. But I've been in that position so many times when you're not the guy. Yeah. And I said to Mitch, "Hey, hey, that I didn't. I, I knew Rain to say hi. I said, "Hey, that guy's still there. Go and t- let him know or get him out of here before we celebrate." I I can't. I felt too badly about. But you'd already read. He. They didn't even read him. But you, you'd already. Done. I'd already oh, read. Yeah, yeah. We did. I read alone, and then we did a group scene with with Tony and Jessica uh-huh. and Jason. Uh huh. Um, and. It was like, it's so funny looking back on that now and Mitch in those moments, like Mitch and I are, you know, he's been one of my best friends of my life and I we still work together and, yeah. he, you know, he produces our show Flaked with us and, and he's just such a part of my life and Jason is, from that moment on, we were, we, we've been like brothers. It's, uh, it's so funny to look back at that actual day. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you guys sort of reinvented television. I mean, it was a completely new <clears throat> thing. People fucking love it. Cross is hilarious. Everyone's hilarious. Yeah, it was weird. It was such a funny, like when we first started, I knew David a little bit from New York. Yeah. Um, not well. And, and but uh, we started shooting that show and immediately, from the first time we did like a big group scene, it felt different. Um, and Mitch is such a brilliant guy and he's a brilliant writer. Um, he's probably the funniest person I've ever known. You just knew that we were doing something that was, you know, the writing was so good and that the, that it was funny. Um, but at the same time, that whole first fall before it started to air, it didn't air until November. We started yeah. shooting in August. Uh, we were making it in a vacuum and 
And it was odd. And you, you in it a was sense, odd. you knew it was different. We knew it was different, but there was no reaction to it yet. Yeah. So we were just making episodes. Yeah, yeah. And um, and there was there was something kind of freeing about that. Uh, there was no pressure to sure do it one way or the other. Um, and then when people uh, started reacting and, and liking it, and mm. the, I never even thought about shit like reviews because I was so concerned with just trying to get a fucking job for so long, right? That that was so far down the fucking right, road. and you weren't necessarily as invested in the show. You were working, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It wasn't on you. No, it wasn't at all. Yeah, and uh, and so and then and then it sort of started to pick up steam. And, Became a phenomenon. I guess. Yeah, definitely. But, but at the same time, don't forget, we had zero ratings. Yeah. So, you know, we were constantly, every Monday morning, uh, Bateman and I would be like sort of pouring through the ratings and trying to like, hey, yeah. we went up a, a tenth and, <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, girls 18 to 19. The worst. What do you the do fucking, yeah. the worst. He's a good guy. I talked to him. Bateman's the best. Yeah. Um, And... I God, I have so many memories of just him sitting in his little shit trailer with the door open, wearing his stupid Michael yeah. costume with pages. Yeah. Back oh, then it was paper. Yeah. Going over the ratings. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah. Hey, Freaking look. out. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I got something good. Yeah, we're just holding on to anything. So what how did it ultimately, you know, stay on the air? We got nominated that first it started airing in November. Yeah. And then in December, out of the blue, we got nominated for a Golden Globe. Right. And we were like, holy shit, Golden Globe. Yeah. And we get to go? Yeah, hang out. Uh, it was so far removed from everything where I was at. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess, I mean, that's not entirely true. Amy was doing SNL, so she was kind of in a high profile thing. But for me, it just seemed like that was, you know, her game. Yeah. And, uh, and then after the first season, we got nominated for a bunch of Emmys. Yeah. And then we won uh, the, the Emmy for Best best comedy uh and that was so gratifying i remember before the ceremony cross saying if we win yeah we're on the same road we should get up celebrate with each you know ah, yeah walk out to the aisle and then go the other way out the theater and get in our cars and leave <laughs> and i was like that's yes hilarious yeah. i remember amy saying to me don't listen to cross <laughs> you cannot do that yeah um but yeah, it was very validating. It was such a thrill. Yeah, it's great. And then, and then the new the 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 ones you did a couple of years ago went over well. Everyone was excited. Yeah, uh, there were people who had complaints. You know, there were a number of reasons that we that Mitch constructed those shows the way he did. Yeah. Um, some of it had to do with uh, schedule of uh-huh. getting everybody back yeah, on yeah. board. Um, but I feel like when you go back, you know, the 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 format was that each character had their own episode some have a, multiple episodes and then everything kind of sort of you yeah know, you could follow everything kind of collapsed on itself and the storylines were all intertwined i feel like when you actually go back and look at it as a whole it's a pretty masterful it's very complex yeah what he did and i spent some time in in the writers room on that and it was it was like a uh, like a code breaking room in, from World War Two. I'm not kidding. It was different colored index cards with piece, different colored pieces of string, uh, sort of denoting character or cause and effect and stuff going back and forth. It was insanity. Yeah, and it was like such a window into Mitch's brain, which is uh, scrambled eggs. Wow. But yeah, but he pulls it together. He makes oh. the omelet. 
He really does, honestly. So what now? He produces Flaked. Is that now? Is that your? That's your show. Yeah, you created it. Yes, um, and it's sort of based on. It it well, it's not really based on reality, right? In the sense that 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 story is fictitious. Um, but you're hip to being fucked up. Yeah, <laughs> I'm hip to being fucked up, and I'm hip to. I decided that I wanted to kind of make something that was. Um, I like the idea initially of a guy. I, I, I've always liked the idea of a big fish in a small pond. Yeah, and so I remember seeing somebody I know being in Venice and everybody stopping him on the corner and he's in the program and everybody's like, hey man, what's up? And like, it was like a business guy and yeah. a fucking homeless dude. Yeah. And I was like, how the fuck do you know everybody? Like, what is your deal? Right. And I, it struck me as being kind of funny. And that and Venice is, I love Venice and I've lived there on and off over the years and it's, it is a place where people go to reinvent themselves. Uh-huh. Um, truly, like you can just go out there and sort of adopt a persona. Right. And you know we have a character in in the show. We we didn't really get into it, but I you know there was a guy years ago who we knew. His name was Stefan, and then somebody else said we, we were talking about Stefan. They said, um, "Oh, I I went to high school with him." You mean Stephen? Yeah. <laughs> and we're like, "Holy shit!" That's when you're 25 and you just decide I'm going to call myself Stefan, and everybody else is going to go and no, none of these people know me. They don't right. know my story. Right. And you can create this identity, and so I I like that. Um, and I think that in a lot of ways. I wanted to get into the idea of who we are versus who we really are versus who we show the world. Right. Um, and that kind of fascinated me. Yeah. Um, on just on a personal level, uh, you know, I, I started it as a sort of an exploration of things I didn't like about other people. Um, number one, sort of uh, dishonesty and lying. Yeah. And I ended up, it got very sort of murky and, and I kind of, also became an exploration of things I didn't like about myself. Sure. At the same time. Yeah. Um, it's so funny because that process of like, you know, those resentments that you have against others, like it, sometimes it can take a while for you to realize like, oh, this isn't, like we were talking about before, I'm having a conversation with myself. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And it was, it was tough. I, I, it wasn't until, it wasn't until I was deep in the process of my, my writing partner, Mark Chapel, is an Englishman. He yeah. wrote with I met him through Cross years ago. He wrote Todd Margaret with. Oh yeah, you're on Todd Margaret. Yeah, right? yeah. <clears throat> and and so that's how I met Chappie, um, and who's a Oxford educated Englishman who had never been to Venice before. Uh huh. Um, and he and I just pitched this idea to him one night. I was in London, and he's like, "Yeah, it sounds great." And we just started writing an outline the next day. And he came over here and immersed himself. And he's the greatest partner I could ever ask for. Uh, as he and I wrote every episode of the first season. And as we were doing it, it started to get heavier and heavier. Yeah. And it wasn't until I was in the middle of that process, I realized what was going on. And, you know, there's a, the, at the center of it is this guy, Chip, who is this kind of big fish in a small pond, who's created this persona for himself, who's created this kind of cool identity. Yeah. Um, and at the heart of it, he is a sober guy who's helping people. I also like the idea of a guy who's, he's helping people by selling this this life and this thing and yet he's not necessarily adhering to it himself right but it still works on other people so is he a bad person oh yeah he's kind of doing the right thing well i mean it, that's where you get into a loop right 
Yeah. <laughs> well, what you get into, and people say, well, that's a pretty simplistic way to look at it, but that life is complicated, man. Right. It there, is. There, it there, is. There's no black and white answer. Well, right. And also, like, you, you know, I think about that stuff a lot. Like, you know, I know that, it, you know, I can show up for people, but sometimes in my personal life, I'm a, I'm a fucking, you know, depressed, angry dick. Yeah. But does that, what does that mean exactly? That's just like, you know, people are a little complicated. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> People are complicated, and 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 if the good column outweighs the bad column, you're you're doing okay. Hundred percent. Yeah. And if you can try to own the shit that you've done and go, okay, fuck, I need to try to be better. Then I guess that's all you can do. Now what? Now where are you at now? That you're about to drop the second season? Yeah. So we we did the first season, and then uh, we started shooting the se- that came out last March, and then we shot the second season. We brought more writers on this year. Um, and now, do you like do you picture an arc? Because like my experience in writing television, I always assumed that you know that these people that write these series, you know, can see the whole thing through four or five seasons or eight seasons. Uh, I didn't have that experience. Are you? <laughs> well, we did. You know, it's funny. Uh, one of the one of the criticisms of the first season was that oh, these guys here. You have these guys in their mid forties living in Venice, and you're like a self help guy, kind of. Yeah, he's he's just a he's a big sort of like program guy, right? And who, but who, as we find out, he kind of uses it a lot to excuse himself of his own behavior in his real life. Like anybody uses a spiritual system. Yes. <laughs> that affords you the ability to be forgiven. Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. My God is very forgiving. Uh, no kidding. Yeah. He forget your God forgave you. That's <laughs> what a fucking, what a coincidence. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> we, I, you know, we always had this. I always pictured that there would be a sort of a fallout to what his behavior in, in the first season. Um, and I was never, it was never an endorsement of that kind of character. Yeah. I, if we never got to make a second season, it might have seen that way. But we always knew where we wanted to, where we wanted to go. And I'm not, there is a, a version of going beyond it. I'm not sure if it's necessarily something I want to do. It's, it's been a very trying experience for me on a lot of different levels. Um, like what? Well, because just on a, on a purely sort of logistical level, you know, writing it um, yeah. and acting in it and show running Mark and I yeah. run it. Yeah. And, you know, every decision, every fucking minuscule decision we have to make. Yeah. And sometimes you just want to act. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes you just want to show up. Not <laughs> yeah. like, oh, yeah, no, sorry. Hang on. The cup should be like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah, the yeah. thing should be like let this. Me see, let me see. What do you got in the camera? Yeah. What's in it? What's in it? Okay. You know, yeah. constantly. Um so there's that, and also just the subject matter itself. It got I got really close to the bone last year, and I ended up kind of, as a result, uh, kind of blurring the lines. And I'm like, did I do it because I wanted to get closer? Is it is this method acting bringing it back to Strasbourg? Yeah. Was I trying to get closer to what was going on? Yeah. Or was I? Did I write it as an excuse to do that? You yeah. Know? I still don't know. So uh, you're 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 challenging yourself in ways you didn't think. A hundred percent. Yeah. I, this is not how I, how I envision my, what I envisioned doing to myself at age 45, right. 46. There's not, there's not, you can't just phone it in. No, <laughs> you cannot. And it's, you've been through a certain amount of life shit to where you're like, this guy's too close to me. Yeah. Like, am I revealing too much about myself? hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. It got, it got really, I, it, it put me in a nervous space for a while, which <laughs> yeah. is probably good. I sure. think in the long run. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, uh, you know, uh, 
I have been through a lot of shit, and a lot of people, you know, have been through way worse shit than I have. Sure. But but I've been in my own way, been through my own shit, and uh, I'm sort of at a place now where maybe it's time to lay this one down mm-hmm. uh, and let it be. But I'm happy with what we did. We had some great writers this year, and um, who you know, Mark and I still wrote, and I directed this year for the first time, which I've never done. Yeah, I've, you got to do that when you got the opportunity. Yeah, I've I've never been one of those people who's supposed that I can do it. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'd be any good at it, you know? Well, usually like when the the thing that you're afforded when you're, you know, in the second season of your own show is, you know, you've got a DP that knows what he's doing and, and usually, you know, you can be guided. It's very hard to direct and act because you got to keep running back to the playback machine yeah. and do another take. But, but it's like, it's like popping your cherry. You got to do it. Yeah. And, and, you know, luckily I have uh, Chappie with me, Mark. And, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was, it was challenging. It's cool because now, like at least you know you're in the guild, and if you want to direct something that's not you, yeah, you can try it. Yeah, it's good. I, I've thought about it, yeah. but who knows? Yeah. And now your personal life, you okay? You and the kids are good and great. You get along with Amy, or yeah, yeah, it's worked Every, out. It leveled it's worked off. Worked out. Yeah, everything leveled off, and everything's good. And and uh, you know, um, co-parenting like it's essential that you know that shit levels off. Yeah, I, you know what? That shit was. To be honest, that shit was always level. Oh, good. Yeah, it's always been about the kids, good. and um, they're everything for me and and, and for her starts uh, every day's you know the kids' happiness. Yeah, and that's it. You know, and it, that comes to work, and everybody I work with, and everybody I do things with, they all know that that's first and foremost, and um, and then everything else is kind of falls in line after that. Everything else is gravy. Yeah, schedule I. I look at everything as it takes me away from my kids, every yeah. job, every meeting, every everything. Yeah. And so it better be worth it. And the sobriety solid? Sobriety solid. Took me a minute. Yeah. Um, actually, not really, but it took me a minute to sort of- But you had a program? I mean, like, you know, when, when you did go out, you knew where you had to go back to? A million percent. <laughs> I That's the worst part, or the best part. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's always there. Yeah, and you can't, you're sort of like, you know. Yeah, I had enough in me to know, uh, <laughs> as you're doing it, you, you're like, you can't yeah. even really enjoy it. No, there's no way, I can't imagine no. it. I no. can't imagine it. And the best part is, you know, best slash worst part is, my friends uh, in, in sobriety who are great, who would just be like, okay, man. Yeah. Okay. And I'm like, oh, fuck You're you. trying he to knows. justify it? Oh, I'm... Yeah, yeah. No, I'm good now. I'm good now. I mean, you know, I, good. I mean, I, you know, I I did some time. You know, I got it. I got it. Yeah. And they're like, they're okay, like, man. We'll see you. All right, we'll wait. Yeah, I'm going to be right here. We got a seat safe for you. And it's funny now my sort of feeling about it is is much more like, God, what a jackass I was. But, you know, again... Hey, you, at least you didn't die. Yes. At least I didn't die and... I, I consider myself in that sense very lucky. I like it's like to me that's the most frightening thing, you know, having 17 years and you see these guys that go out after like that long and like they don't it's not good. No. <laughs> it doesn't. It, well, that's the thing. I I knew again, I knew exactly wh- where that goes. You know, and I've seen it enough and yeah. I've been around enough guys and I've been around uh, the rooms long enough to know the natural progression. It might be okay today. Yeah. Here's where it goes. Right. So, yeah. Good. Well, I'm glad you're back, and I'm glad things are working out, and I'm uh, looking forward to the new thing. Thanks, man. So that was Will Arnett. It was nice talking to him, and uh, we're still here. 
I believe I will play some guitar, but not think about it too much. Hold on a second.